continue with the book of Jeremiah in this month and the next Jeremiah is grieving and God is angry he calls for the people to repent in the 8th chapter starting at the 18th verse this is what we hear from the word of the Lord my joy is gone grief is upon me my heart is sick Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? 
The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. And then the 14th or the 16th chapter of Luke, I'm sorry. Uh, This parable, depending on who you talk to, is sometimes referred to as the weirdest parable of Jesus. And you'll see why in just a minute. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that his man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. And then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my manager is taking the position away from me? Am I not strong enough? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, So that when I am dismayed, when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked first, how much do you owe my master? And he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and make it fifty. And then he asked another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commanded the dishonest manager, commended, excuse me, commended, commended, that's important. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in little is faithful in much, and whoever is dishonest in little is dishonest also in much. If then... You have not been faithful with, the, with dishonest wealth. Who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
So Jesus' weirdest parable. It is odd to have a parable that is sometimes titled The Dishonest Steward and sometimes titled The Faithful Manager. How can one both be dishonest and faithful at the same time? It doesn't seem right. Right? Seems like an odd thing to say. And one of the commentaries that I was reading about this text today said, when your people come to church on Sunday morning, just tell them, you don't know what this is about, and nobody does, and send them home. And then it went on to say, that probably won't go over very well, so you probably have to have a better answer than that. But there is some truth to the fact that this is a parable that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It almost, if you read it, encourages us to be dishonest. And that just doesn't seem to fit with the whole of the gospel, does it? Not at all. So let me help a little bit, although I will admit to you, I don't really know what this means and nobody does, so we're going to do the best we can here. There was a common practice in the time when this parable was written of the manager adding to the price of the goods. So he would, in our parlance, sort of be like the wholesaler. So in other words, if you bought 50 bottles of oil, he might add another 50 to your bill. So you really owed... The guy whose oil it was, a hundred. Are you with me with that? Does it make sense? Okay. Did y'all see this? Fifty and fifty is a hundred. That's all it says, basically. But, yeah. So, and fifty and fifty, fifty adding adding a hundred percent to the bill. It's ridiculous. If you went to Walmart and knew they added 100% to your bill, you'd you'd go to Kmart. Right? I mean, that's just the way it works. But there are all kinds of Old Testament rules against usury. And usury, among other things, is charging too much interest to people. Now, the interesting thing about that is the too much interest that people think that that Old Testament text is about is usually somewhere between 20 and 25 percent. What's your APR on your credit card? Right? If, if you don't have good credit, your APR on your credit card is probably 22 and a half percent. Those companies are practicing usury and God probably has an opinion about that. God has a lot to say about debt and debt relieving. 
But that's a whole other story. We're back to this. The manager has added an extra 50 to what is owed. And I think what's going on in this text is the people who are paying the bills are ticked off. They don't want to pay an extra 100%. They don't want that extra 50 on there. But whatever is happening, somebody went to the owner and said, your boy's no good. You need to get rid of him. And he says to the manager, boy, you're no good. I'm getting rid of you. And the manager scrambles around realizing that he doesn't want to dig ditches for a living because it's hard work. And he doesn't want to beg for a living because it's embarrassing. And he goes back to this person and says, hey, here, I know what we'll do. We'll take out my part. We'll take out my part. And then, you know what? You won't, own, you won't owe 100. You'll only owe 50. That's it. You got 50, you'll owe 50. That's a good deal, right? You see this? It's 100 minus 50 is 50. It's not tough, but that's, that's what we're doing here. Just a little visual. He's cut out his own exorbitant cost from what the people owe. And guess what happens? The people are happy because they owe less. The manager looks good because they owe less and they're happy. And the owner is happy because he's still getting the 50 that was originally owed to him. And all these other people are happy. What a deal. And yet, here's a guy that's called the shrewd manager or the dishonest steward. This is where we get into, what is this, what is this about? What is it really about? Well, one of the things it might be about is just what I said about debt relief, that we need to take seriously the fact that the poor are heavily burdened with debt. The poor, even in our country, almost never get ahead. You would not believe the number of times that I've heard people like Jane, who works in our office, say, why did they wait till today when they're turning off the gas bill to call us and say, hey, can you help me? Well, because last week they were calling saying, hey, I need a new car tire or I'm not going to be able to get to work. And it's a cycle in the life of the poor that there's just never enough. And so you move from crisis to crisis to crisis. It's worse in two-thirds world countries where their crisis to crisis to crisis is trying to find food or medicine or feed their babies or get clean water. So part of what this might be about is about debt relief. Part of what this might also be about when it says you can't serve both God and money. Let 
is that God is more important than money. Now, the walls of Vance Church have not fallen down hearing me say that, but there is a time when that might have happened. God is more important than money. And this text even goes on to suggest that perhaps God's people are more important than money. That manager could have done a whole lot of things to line his pockets, to make himself a lot more wealthy than he did. He chose not to. Now, the reason he chose not to was to save his own skin, but it does look like here that if God's people are more important than money, then that's how we serve God, by serving the people not the money. Augustine is that great theologian that we turn to because in the third century, he was the one who really started the discussions about classic Christianity. There is a lot to which Christianity owes St. Augustine. There is also a lot that he probably got wrong, and that's one of the reasons that we're so messed up and all need to go to family therapy. But there's a lot he got right. And one of the things he said was that God gave us people to love and things, like money, to use. And original sin manifests itself in our penchant to confuse those two. Loving things and using people. God gave us people to love and things to use. Original sin manifests itself in our penchant to confuse those two. Loving things and using people. It is true that I don't really know what this text is about, but I think that if we are to understand anything about it, it's about the fact that in order to love God, we must love people and use things. Amen.